Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Over the past week, we've seen disturbing scenes from the United States across the country in multiple locations. There are there are demonstrations that relate to and are linked to the murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis. What we need to do here in Australia is look at that. But some people are protesting and other people are are thinking about why it is that people are protesting. We need to understand that better in terms of a dialogue. What's happening in the US appears ugly, um, and it is ugly. And the streets are full of people looting uh, in the name of a particular cause. To explore this with me and look at the domestic uh, situation is Warren Mundine. Warren's is an Indigenous businessman, an Indigenous commentator. Uh, he's been involved in politics uh, with both, both, both major political parties over the years. And he's uh, going to talk to me about how he sees this through the lens of someone who's grown up in an Indigenous environment. Warren, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, uh, Tom. Now, let's begin where this situation was a week ago. What was your first reaction when you saw what had occurred uh, with George Floyd in Minneapolis? Oh, look, I, I heard about this uh, this incident in uh, in the United States in, in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, so, uh, like a lot of people, I went. Uh, I saw the news, and then I went to the uh, to uh, the, the my uh, computer and looked at the the video. In fact, I looked at it several times over the over the week, and it was it was just like horrifying uh, to see what happens. You know, uh, this uh, you know the policeman uh, putting, and this is the important part for me: the policeman putting his knee. On the throat of the uh, of George Floyd, uh, uh, the African American who is arresting, and 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 sitting on him for uh, uh, nine, something like nine minutes, and he, it just was just horrific. And then seeing uh, take his knee off, and, and uh, only when the ambulance and that was there to take uh, take uh, Mr. Floyd away. And I was just horrified, you know, I just could not get over uh, why anyone would put their knee to a throat of anyone, uh, any human being or anything, really, because we know that just automatically cuts off your, your oxygen flow to your, to your brain and to your body. And also the danger of the throat is also is that if you cut it or injure it, uh, people can because of main arteries going through, they could, they actually could bleed to death. So in this case, that, that a cut never happened, but he, the knee being there had cut off his oxygen. And to me, look, we know there's, um, in fact, the more and more I look at it, the more and more I was horrified by it and the more and more I was convinced about the guilt of this. Now, I know in, in, a, in the legal system, you know, a person is presumed innocent until, they, until we go to trial, and that, that's, that's fair enough. But to me, it was it was quite definitely uh, disgraceful what was done to uh, to George Floyd, and and to me it was the cause of his death. And I was just shocked and horrified by the whole incident. 
what have you made of the week since that particular uh, incident in Minneapolis? There have been numerous protests through all times of day, particularly at night. Um, you've been around a long time, Warren. Uh, have you seen anything like it in recent history? Oh, no, this is uh, this is this is the worst it's ever been, and 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 it's 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 like a, a boiling pot, and it's just like it's just a pressure cooker, and it's just like this is uh, open this pressure cooker up, like it's been bubbling along for a number of years. I haven't seen anything like this, even when you go back to the Ferguson incidents, even when you go back to to the shooting of, uh, of that of that jogger, African-American jogger, uh, and in the last few weeks, in the last few years, in the last 10 years, you, I have not seen an incident even as big as this uh, since what happened in, in uh, South LA uh, in regard to the riots there. And, and, and even this is bigger than that. And, and there's a number of factors that have been, you know, we've got to look at in regard to this, is that there's, there's this seething, boiling tension that's been sitting there for so long and all of a sudden this has been sort of like uh, the valve that sort of opened it and all the grievances and all that anger come out and you just see this massive explosion, not just in Minneapolis, which is a normal situation, but across the entire country. You've seen like 120 cities now uh, where we've had demonstrations, peaceful, and, uh, uh, really respectful, and, and, and demonstrations in regard to the, the horror that happened to George Floyd, and then we've also had this explosion of anger, of looting and burning, and and, and fights. In fact, uh, yesterday we had news last night that four police officers were shot in in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and we had a, an African American police officer killed. In Oakland, and, and a number of other uh, you know, people who have been injured on on both sides, and some very severely injured uh, across the nation in the United States, and and, th- and it's and it's almost like the, it's this boiling cauldron of, of of anger, and and has been just waiting for this moment, and it just exploded. It's interesting you you describe it that way because um, what I'm sensing, and please correct me if you believe I'm wrong when I say this, uh, is that some of that, some of the themes we're seeing emerge from the US uh, are identified with by people in Australia because of uh, the way in which uh, black debts and custody, for example, have been handled over a very long time. Is that why we're slowly, why we're seeing the, the, the emergence of public um, concern through protests here as well? Look, uh, yeah, it just they're, they're, this is what people are using the link to. And and look, I got to congratulate. I saw the uh, the protests last night in Sydney. Uh, I got to congratulate the organisers for that. They they were very sensible. Uh, they, they they were concerned uh, about the same thing happening here. What happened in the United States? 
Uh, but they, they and I've got to congratulate the protesters as well. Uh, that they, they they were there to put out a clear message, and and they did that in regard to the deaths in custodies and and, and some of the linkage that could be uh, attributed to the United States. But they did it in a peaceful, uh, sensible manner, and I think uh, I and I hope that it can continues. Uh, because you know, I'm a, I'm a great supporter of free speech. I'm a great supporter in 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 you know identifying the problems we have in our society and, and fixing those problems. But I'm also a, a strong supporter in, in ensuring that we do this in a proper manner. Look, I can understand the anger in the United States in regard to the first day or two, but now it's gone beyond that. And 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 this week is a good example. It actually has got, we've got two demonstrations happening in the United States now. One is the peaceful, and these are the majority. The peaceful are people out there uh, who are putting their uh, their concerns, and it's gone beyond George Floyd. Now that was the catalyst that kicked it off, but it has brought in a number of other grievances within uh, the African American community. And, and of course, this economic downturn hasn't helped. You know, massive. You know, something like twenty percent of the American population is now unemployed, and, pe and people from minority and low socioeconomic uh, backgrounds are really suffering over there at the moment. And and that's and this is where it's it's so you, they had those genuine, peaceful, getting their messages across. And we've seen a number of the police forces across the United States and, and some of the national guards as well. Who have uh, bent the knee and 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 have had sensible, sane conversation conversations and that and uh, uh, but it's really up to the, the leadership on both sides and the politicians now to make some lasting changes. The sad part there is a minority, and it is a minority who are continuing uh, in regard to the the burning and the looting and that that's going on. And I always and I remember the uh, the, the talk. Uh, the other day by Terence Floyd, uh, uh, George Floyd's brother, who, who who got out and, and asked people, you know, to stop stop this uh, the, the bad stuff, the burning, the looting. It do have peaceful uh, demonstrations. Do get uh, have those conversations with the powers that be and that about the changes that need to be happening. And I thought it was, uh, you know, a very uh, moving and incredible uh, speech by Terence Floyd. Here was his his brother. Uh, and to me, and this is me, uh, you know, I allege that his brother was murdered. I saw the videos, uh, and that, uh, and he would come out and made such a, a brave and, and, and very emotional speech. And, and, and I think that resonated with the, the protesters here in Australia. The ones I've seen so far, they, they have got their points across. And they've done it in a peaceful manner, and they didn't do any looting and burning. And it, it was like. A lot of the, the, the majority of protests in the United States are peaceful. Get the message across and, 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 and get the changes that we need to do. Now, if we come back to the Australian scene, Warren, uh, there is still a lot of work to be done within the Indigenous communities here uh, in relation to what goes on when Indigenous folk uh, uh, are incarcerated, there are still grave concerns. Um, you read about it from time to time. You see issues as we did over the past year or so in places like Tennant Creek. How do we address this kind of thing? Because it keeps coming up 
And every time, whether it be Australia Day, whether it be certain other dates of remembrance, and it's a reminder that we've got issues to address in this country. What are the things that we need to do to, to manage that process here? How can we do it better? Well, look, the, 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 and, I, and I've been talking about this for a number of years, about the deafness of um, and the blindness of of, of, of our leadership in, and I'm not talking about Aboriginal, I'm talking about Australian leadership and state leaderships and local leadership in that um, uh, every, we have these things happen almost on an annual basis. And, in fact, some of, in some communities you go and you see these things happening regularly. It's almost, it's almost a weekly basis and that, that, that's going on. And yet, um, and yet we, we get... When the big thing blows up, we get the politicians and, and some of the leadership coming down and, and saying this is terrible, we've got to fix it and do things. But it's the same old, same old again you know, all over. And it's like we've been doing this now for 50 years, at least 50 years, going back to the 70s that I know, of, where there's been a very strong, genuine, and I think a sincere approach to fixing the some of the issues that are happening within Aboriginal communities and across across Australia, but uh, but we just seem to be it's it's almost like Groundhog Day. Uh, we just keep on doing the same things over and over again, and we and we're getting the same results over and over again. I I wake up some days after some of these incidents, and uh, and I say and it's just like oh this is what we did five years ago. This is what we did. 10 years ago, this is what we did 20 years ago, we really have to shake this whole area up and do things differently. And the first step, of course, is really working with the uh, Indigenous leadership on the ground, uh, making them front and centre. Uh, you can't, uh, you can't uh, megaphone change things from Canberra or Sydney or Perth or some other major capital city in Australia. You, you have to be working on the ground. You have to be working with people in this community. The biggest step is to actually start listening. The second biggest step is actually making reform changes, uh, not doing the same old, same old thing over and over again or just tossing money at it. We know just tossing money at it doesn't make the changes. We spend uh, over the last 10 years billions of dollars in this space and 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 you see, yes, you do see some changes. I'm not going to deny there hasn't been some changes, but when you you sit and listen to the closing cap report every year, it, it's Groundhog Day. Well, we mentioned the word sincerity earlier on in your response to the previous question, um, and we can be sincere all we like. But that doesn't, uh, sincerity is one thing. Uh, saying, uh, institutions saying they understand the problem is one thing. Actually working out how you deal with the issue is, is the other. There's a disconnect from what I observe between policy making, policy delivery, and effective policy delivery at that. Um, Am I right there, or is there something wrong with the logic I've presented? Look, uh, yeah, uh, you're right about the sincerity thing and, 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 you know, wanting to do good, all this stuff. But the, the way we do these things, and, 
uh, is, you know, like we, we do it through the public service. We do it through, and they're very good people working in this area. We do it through uh, the politicians at the federal and state levels and even the local government level. When we actually should be, uh, you know, working uh, and listening to the leadership in, in each of these communities because they, they do differ, you know, uh, people living in Redfern uh, have different, they have different uh, policies and ideas that need to be done for that, which are going to be different to remote Aboriginal communities and to regional Aboriginal communities. So we do need to take that regional approach from, you know, from, from the major cities, the suburbs into the regions, the rural and remote communities, and, and focusing on those different areas because people who live on the coast, Aboriginals live on the coast, are different to Aboriginals who live out in, in, uh, in Blue Mountains and in Western New South Wales or Central Australia or, or the Kimberleys and that. And we need to take that, those regional approaches. And also we need to have in, the Indigenous uh, leadership, the Indigenous people from those uh, regions front and centre in, in, in working this forward. Uh, there has to be really major changes. Now, I could just, uh, you know, state the big obvious here, you know, that the major changes, and, you know, looking at how we education and getting economic development and businesses and, and, and dealing with the, uh, some of the, the police training and, and, and services and, and stuff, training and, and making those changes. Uh, but, but it's the way we do these things, which is the important part. It, you know, it, it has uh, Aboriginal people have to have that ownership of that process. And if they don't have that ownership, then all we're doing is committing the same sins of the past. Um, Warren, one of the things that I've noticed about your involvement in a range of committees and in initiatives and in public commentary. Um, that you, you've been dealing with prominent people, whether it's on Indigenous councils or whatever else. You were, you were, you were involved in a prime ministerial council at one point. Um, how frustrating is it that there are times you cannot advance something? Yeah. Well, it's very frustrating. And I'll give an example where I had a very public frustration when I was chair of the Prime Minister's Indigenous Advisory Council when we saw the horrific scenes that come out of Dondale Juvenile Detention Centre uh, from the, 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 the uh, from uh, Four Corners. Uh, and that wasn't the first time it had. It actually had it on a couple of years before that as well. Uh, and it was the deafness that really drove me mad. And then the committing of the sins of repeating ourselves. Like we had a royal commission into Dondale and I said at the time, I said that it's going to end up spending $50 million on this and we're going to have a whole lot of recommendations which governments will ignore. And we saw that, you know, with the Royal Commission and the Black Deaths in, in custody. Uh, we saw a massive amount of resources and, and incredible people who uh, sat around that around that table, like, like uh, uh, you know, the former, uh, who's now passed away, the, the first Aboriginal judge in, in Bob Belair sitting on that, uh, a very esteemed uh, uh, legal person, jurist, and, uh, and, and just proved by the fact that he was appointed a judge in the New South Wales District Court after that, uh, and a very prominent barrister at the time. He, he, was, he sat on that uh, uh, Royal Commission, 
you had uh, Marcia Langton, uh, the academic, who uh, has an incredible record in regard to research and that. And, 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 all, and we had a number of other incredible uh, Indigenous people on that committee, as well as the wider Australian community, incredible uh, legal people, uh, social workers, uh, researchers, academics and so on, and also some uh, the local community. And those recommendations that come out were hardly implemented. Hardly anything out of that was implemented. So when I when when the next the Royal Commission uh, into Dondale come out, I said we're going to do the same thing again. Now I caught a bit of a flack from that, and and it was one of the reasons why I when I was asked to uh, to sit again as chair of that committee, I, I decided not to because I got it was very exhausting fighting the obvious. We could have spent that fifty million dollars, and in fact, I think the final figure was fifty two million dollars that was spent on that Royal Commission actually spent on those kids in that Northern Territory and they would have had a better outcome working with those kids and, and having uh, Indigenous leadership of that reform agenda rather than having the Royal Commission coming out with a, with a whole lot of recommendations uh, which is, is going to go the way the same way of the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody. It is massively frustrating. It, it's, it's a, it, it drives me mad every day and it, it almost has got to the stage now where I can't even look at a newspaper online or in, in, in solid form uh, in this area because it just drives me because I feel like uh, it's just deja view all over again. Now, it, there are those in... I've heard people sort of on television and elsewhere... Um, Looking at the fact that there are protests happening in Australia and and kind of saying they're being you know the U.S. situation is being used used here. Um, given our discussion, with you'd you'd feel, wouldn't you, that um, the fact that the, the fact that people are feeling some degree of solidarity with the the black communities in the U.S is entirely a justifiable reason to, to go out and protest and highlight the very issues you've been mentioning in the past you know, five, six minutes about the repeated cycle in an environment where people are sincere but they're not delivering the outcomes. Yeah, and this is one of the big, biggest problems we have. Look, I, I, I also find it interesting. I read a, a Sydney Morning Herald article about 25 years ago and it, was, and it was about the highlighting of, of Maoris in Australia. In fact, in the, you know, the, it's going to be soon, there's going to be more Maoris in Australia than there is actually in New Zealand uh, for, for many reasons. You know, they've moved over here and worked over here and, and, and their children have been born here and so on. And, and, in this, and they, so they highlighted uh, a Maori businesses in Australia and, and, and success and whatever of those businesses. And one of the blokes, one of the businessmen, the Maori business said, I find it interesting that people in Australia lo love and look at Maori culture and, 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 and they're writing this article about Maori businesses and how wonderful and everything it is. And yet they got a culture here that's been here for thousands of years and, and, and they're not even uh, they're not even talking about it. they're ignoring it. And, and that is that is the problem and I look I don't blame the people who are trying to, to get that link there and trying to get that promote that area. Because uh, here are people standing up and saying, you know, how disgusted they are about what's happening 
in America, and that, but they're not looking in their own backyard. And they see it probably, I don't know, if too close to home or it's too much of a reflection on themselves. So it makes it easier for them to stand up and argue about what's happening to African-Americans, and I do support them for doing that. Uh, but, you know, we also have similar uh, uh, problems in Australia, and, and you just only have to look at the statistics. I, I chaired uh, the Weverell, the Labor Weverell government in South Australia in 2016 got me to chair the inquiry into adult prisons. And uh, and we had a very good board to do that, and we and we did it very cheaply. It only cost a couple hundred thousand dollars to do it. But we, uh, we looked in adult prisons because when you have to look at prisons, you also have to look at juvenile detention centres because a lot of people who go into adult prisons come from juvenile detention centres and you have to look at the environments that people are coming from. And, and it's it just so frustrating to see things that were highlighted in the, the Royal Black the Royal Commission of Black Deaths in Custody and the Dondale Review and numerous other Royal Commissions and inquiries over the last 40 years, the same things were coming up over and over again and about how we had to really change to uh, to approach these things. And we come up with 20 recommendations and that, and I'm, I don't know what's happened with those recommendations in the last four years, but I hope that some of them get implemented. We've really got a, a focus on these uh, communities and we, about help uh, about supporting the leadership and the people in those communities, not going out there thinking, "Oh, we're going to help these people. We're going to do these wonderful things." Because at the moment, uh, we're, you know, we've been doing this for years, and, and it's got to the stage where Aboriginal people are just and, and the same in African America. Uh, you know, I mean, in America, for African Americans and other minorities, that we, we're just sick and tired of just trying to help. Stop helping us. You know, we want to take up the ownership of this. We want to take, we want to be the leadership in regard to resolving these issues. And the more we're we're sat on the sideline, the more it's it's not changing. And we see that in, as I said, in every closing the gap report. I support the closing gap gap report. It needs a bit of reform now, in that it it sets targets and timelines for things to be fixed. The only problem is that the action in regard to, to those timelines and, 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 and targets uh, is, you know, pretty hopeless, quite frankly. Well, what do you do at this point? I mean, you've, you've got a, a lot of interest in the area. You've been proactive in the area. Uh, you do have, uh, given your uh, involvement at all different levels of government, uh, contacts across the board. Um, does the um, you know, occurrence of protests over the past 24 hours give you some additional impetus to have some more conversations with people? Well, we've got to, yeah, it does. You know, it's actually fired me up. I've got to say, I've got a bit of delusion there stuff there as well, you know, about uh, anyone, could, Blind Freddy could see this sort of, Thing was going to happen at some stage, and of course, you know, it's 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 all going back to the sixties and seventies of the of the long hot summers. You know, where they used to have uh, race riots and demonstrations every summer uh, over civil rights and the treatment of people. And now this is a re this is almost exactly the same, probably even worse than, than that period. Uh, because uh, we had strong leadership in those days in regard to peaceful demonstrations and that, and 
and I'll repeat again, the majority of these demonstrations are peaceful and, and there are decent people out there for, uh, trying to get a message across. Uh, it's just that it, at night, especially at night and in other areas, it, it's been hijacked by people who want to run their own agendas and, it's, and, and they're using George Floyd and, and, uh, and, the, and this boiling cauldron of issues that need to be resolved uh, for their own gains. And, that, and that's, that's the tragedy of this thing at the moment. Uh, hopefully this will all settle down soon and that uh, then we can really start focusing on this issue. But in, these, but in Australia, uh, you know, you look at the statistics of incarceration rates, you look at the statistics in regard to youth, and this is a real damning thing because we know uh, if we lock kids up, and this is a statistic in, in, in Australia, in New Zealand, Canada, in the United States, because we're similar type countries in that we were... Uh, you know, colonised by the by the British, we we we've had invasion, we had Indigenous people, uh, you know, uh, lost their land, lost their uh, you know uh, freedoms and stuff like that, and and terrific things have been done over them over those years, uh, and and the statistics tell us that if you lock kids up, then you virtually got them for life. You know, they will go on and go and commit crimes as adults and, and go back into the prison system. And you know, over 80% of them you'll have for life. We have to do things a better way. We have to. So we looked at so one of our major recommendations about uh, I have not seen any uh, research internationally or across Australia's jurisdiction, different jurisdictions, that says locking up kids actually works. Uh, it's, it's about we've got to get kids a purpose, an education, a pride in themselves, a pride in their community. Uh, we've got to get them jobs. Jobs and educations play a major role in this area. And, and it's about uh, supporting uh, Indigenous families and Indigenous communities. Uh, and I don't mean by supporting them and coming in and, and, and we've got all the, all, all the ideas that it can fix this. It's about actually uh, putting them in, in front of the, as the leadership of their own families, the leadership of their own communities and doing things. And then uh, then it's for us to, 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 okay, we've got to put the education structures in there that are working and getting kids to schools and getting them educated. And we've got to put the, uh, uh, you know, the support Indigenous businesses and, and, and Indigenous people who are going to get out there and set up entrepreneurs and stuff like that to get their communities uh, moving ahead, and we've got to deal with the serious uh, uh, crime uh, that is happening in these communities, and not pretend about it. You know, look, we saw the issue in Tennant Creek, and and it's and I'm just sick and tired of seeing issues like that continually happening. And the frustration is on all sides. In fact, I got a phone call yesterday uh, from uh, uh, some uh, uh, Australians and white Australians who. Who live in rural communities, and, that, and and they're talking about they're frustrating about how, you know, they can you know work as a community, you know, black, white, and brindle, whatever, and and do this and, and and deal with the issues that are confronting their communities, and I'm going to fly up there in the next few weeks, and make, uh, with the from the invitation for the Aboriginal community there uh, to uh, to sit down and, and and listen, and then say, okay, this is what you just want to do. Okay, how can we Get that happen. And this is more of this needs to be done. Uh, we've got to really move governments into the background uh, uh, and, and have that leadership coming forward. 
Now, uh, one of the most prominent issues in the sort of Indigenous policy space has been the creation of a voice to Parliament. Moves have been put forward by uh, Minister Wyatt, Ken Wyatt, uh, to make uh, make that a priority. Obviously, things must have been delayed a bit with the with the pandemic, etc. But is this how we get? Is the inaction of numerous administrations across the across you know all levels of government? Um, the thing that leads to people wanting to have a voice directly to Parliament and actually having telling their story direct to those people who are decision makers. And, and, uh, and I put a caveat in there too. It has to come from the ground up. Uh, we've had uh, bodies in the past and with good intentions, you know, as my mother used to say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, in, in, in some, uh, we had some really good bodies, you know. Like Ad Adzik, yes, Adzik had a problem at the, at the at the national level, but at the regions, it acted really well. In fact, uh, it, it you know we had a record number of uh, Indigenous people elected to local shire councils and, and councils, and even mayors and that, uh, and and it was and they did really good on the ground work. So my thing for the voice of Parliament is, is that we need to get that voice, you know, not having a body sitting in, in Canberra, but have uh, have people coming from that from those communities, uh, that leadership, and, and going from there and building it from the bottom up, uh, and that's the only only way we're really going to make changes. Uh, because each region is different, to, to, as I said before, each group of people are different, and so we need to. To, to acknowledge that and 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 get moving along. Have you got a have you got a model in your mind as to how this can work? Because um, yeah, you can you can talk about things at a regional level or a state level, but eventually something's got to something's got to work towards the hub in Canberra because <laughs> there's a yeah, the money lives in Canberra in a sense. And in order to in order to get access to it, the story's got to make its way from the the communities at a granular granular level through to whatever um, structure is set up to the hub where Parliament sits in Canberra. Surely, yeah, and and, and yes, and, and we, we do have we, we looked at examples and models in, in like in Canada, they have a, a national chief, you know, because they have very Traditional structures in regard to chiefs and, and, and tribal councils, band councils, as they call them, and that, and and they work for uh, from those band councils into the national uh, parliament in Ottawa uh, through through the national chiefs uh, uh, group, and and it's and we looked at that model, we saw those other models, and then we said, okay, how do we have a uniquely uh, you know Indigenous Australian approach to these things? And it is about uh, you know in, uh, getting those uh, you know those groups together at that level. And what thing has changed in Australia that has helped us is through the native title process and through the land rights process. In that uh, traditional owner groups that you know the, the traditional uh, First Nations as they call uh, are now acquiring land and assets through those processes and reforming. And some of them had not. Uh, 
this formed in the past. You know, you'd only look at the Yungle people up in northeast Arnhem, and they, they've kept their traditional structures, kept their traditional society. Now they just moved it into into a, into a, a more uh, you know, very strong voice to uh, the Northern Territory government and the federal government. You know, you look at how they set up their uh, their assembly, their, their traditional assembly, and how they're operating. And, and that, that's what I see happening. You know? So you need to have a power base for things that happen. And, and I think these are creating some very good power bases now. Uh, and these uh, and it sets us up perfectly for then uh, you know, through electoral processes what the process they come up with to people to sit on a national body and have those uh, in-depth conversations uh, about what how funding should be done, how things, what policies need to be put in place, et cetera, et cetera, and a number of hundreds of other things that need to be done. And so, and I and that then also ties very strongly because with with local Aboriginal uh, First Nations and other uh, groups in Australia, and this is one of the fundamental problems of the past since when uh, was set up the National Indigenous Council in the 1970s, right up to ADSIC and so on, is that the disconnect between the uh, between the local uh, groups and, and the federal and the, and the national bodies, where and uh, even with my body that I chaired on, we weren't an, we weren't a representative body, we weren't an elected body, we were just a, a body of of expertise that was that was helping advising governments and taking some of the voice there. This uh, I believe we have to have that uh, voice coming from the communal communal uh, groups. Uh, so that uh, so that the national body then can really carry weight in regard to that because they'll have the full support of those communities. The problem in the past, when you looked at some of the elections of these previous bodies, it was very small turnout and there was a very disconnect between the leadership of those bodies and uh, the uh, the day-to-day lives of those Aboriginal people in the community. Warren, it's clear you haven't lost your passion even though you've got... Um, even though you've had a raft of disappointments, and it's probably a good good point at which we we can um, wrap up the conversation. But before we do, uh, you've got a range of books, publications that you've uh, you've uh, written and, and published in recent years. Um, can you tell the audience a bit about those and where they're able to find them? Uh, yes, uh, the, the, there's a couple of books out. There's uh, Warren Man in, in black and white, which is really a a uh, you know biography type thing, but it's more than that. I, I, it's a story about Australia through the eyes of my family. So we start off in 1840 uh, when uh, the Europeans first come up to my uh, part of the world and met my ancestors, and we go right through to uh, 20, uh, 2017 in uh, in relation to that, and we use real human stories to get across. Uh, the uh, the messages in the and what happened to Aboriginal people in the wider Australian community during that period, and and uh, and then also the other book is uh, which you helped me with, uh, Tom, in regard to uh, uh, you know uh, Warren Bernadine speaking his mind, which is about the very issue with issues that we just spoke about. It was about okay, these are some of my ideas. Uh, in fact, I do have in that book. Uh, what I see as the national voice parliament and how it, how it can be structured so that those uh, regional and community voices uh, do get to the top levels and into the parliament. 
and uh, and also uh, uh, a number of other issues in economic and education and and land rights and native title and and so on and the relationship between uh, Indigenous Australians and the wider Australian community uh, because we do need to be working together. I think we've got a great nation. Yes, it has a huge problems and that, but, uh, but they're not insurmountable. We can we can work together to drive forward. There are 25 million other Australians in Australia. Unless we've got a, a great repatriation program going back <laughs> to where they come from, the, re the reality is we need to live together, learn together, uh, respect each other and, and, and understand each other uh, and I think we're heading in the right direction. Uh, we we need to do. Uh, sometimes it's like the tango: two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes two steps back. So we, so we need to to keep on plugging away and working at it. And the books are available in, in, in Booktopia and and Dimix and and all the very good bookstores around Australia. And I seem to recall seeing uh, speaking my mind on Rowan Dean's bookshelf. Yes, I was very su surprised when I looked at uh, that. I've seen it on a couple of bookshelves now, uh, when because we've all got bookshelves behind our backs now, when we're, we're zooming or, or skyping uh, our, in our meetings and all that type of stuff. Uh, and uh, so, um, uh, and, you know, it's nice and pleasant. And the book sales are going okay. Uh, I hope, you know, and it's written in in a way that's not academic. Or too high fluting or anything. It's just plain, uh, plain English. Uh, it's uh, and it's done in a story pattern, which is a traditional Aboriginal way of getting points across. We we tell stories, and we make them real, uh, and we talk about real people. Warren, thank you so much for making your, your time available today. It's been fascinating hearing your perspective on the the developments in the US and how some of the themes in the US interlink with what people in the Indigenous community and the broader community feel here. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Anna. It's, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you, Tom. Uh, thank you.